0: Good morning. It is just about 10 minutes past 7 o'clock on this Sunday, this Super Bowl Sunday. Susie Jones here. 27 degrees. Hope you're having a good day. Charlie's back. Charlie, you were back and I was gone sick. Was that how it worked?
1: Uh, yeah, I think yeah, you were out. It's been a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, nice to see you. You as well. Yeah, you had a good time in Colorado. I did. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it's always worth the trip. Yep, up in those mountains, nothing like it. Nothing like it. It's good for your soul. We, though, this morning are going to talk about your heart and your lungs and how they fit together. What does your heart have to do with cancer treatments? I think I said that wrong. Apparently a lot, but we're just going to move right in. Saw a story. Uh, Hennepin Healthcare posted it about the improvements that we are seeing for cancer have actually resulted in patient survival, which is great, right? Everybody gets to live, but unfortunately, those treatments can also include radiation and drugs and chemotherapy, which often have side effects, including impacting your heart. So we are so grateful to have on our newsline this morning Dr. Michelle Carlson. She is a cardiologist and a director of the echocardiography department where she can she's a specialist in cardiac imaging so good morning Dr. Carlson thanks for coming on with us thanks for having me well I thought this was interesting the connection so why don't you first of all take us from the beginning like when didn't you start to discover that chemo and radiation were actually affecting the heart
1: uh, well, I did not personally discover no, that right, right. <laughs> um, med- medicine
0: as a whole discovered that, Yes, yes. um,
1: you know, it's, it, I would say in the last decade, our understanding of that has really grown dramatically.
0: Yeah. And how does and it- the
1: more we look at that, the more we find, the more data we find to support okay. it.
0: Yeah. And so what is, what happens? So somebody starts chemotherapy at chemotherapy and what, what happens? What are the effects?
1: Yeah, well, it depends. It depends on the kind of cancer that the person has and the kind of chemotherapy and and other cancer treatments that they get. Um, We know that for a lot of cancers, we see an increase in the risk of uh, heart problems within that first year of of treatment. And they can include things like um, blocked heart arteries, which we call heart attacks, Mm -hmm. uh, weak heart muscle, which we call heart failure, or blood clots uh, that we call deep venous thrombosis, and pulmonary embolisms. Um, The risk for most cancers goes down after that first year. And so we think a lot of that risk might be related to either inflammation from the cancer itself or from side effects from the different treatments that we're using. Then we also see later after the person is no longer receiving treatment for the cancer, after the cancer is what we call in remission and we think gone, we see another increase in the risk of heart disease for folks with some kinds of cancer. And we are not sure, is this long-term effects of the cancer itself, long-term effects of the treatments that they got for that cancer, or is it that they have risk factors or the risk factors that cause the cancer, also cause the heart disease later in life. And it may be all of those things together.
0: Okay, very good. Again, if you're just tuning in, Dr. Michelle Carlson, a cardiologist at Hennepin Healthcare, and we want to invite you into the program as well, as always, it's 651-461-9226. Again, it's 651 651- 461 We will take a short break here. It's about 14 minutes past 7 o'clock, but I want to talk more as well about this uh, partnership that Hennepin Healthcare has in terms of the Heart Center and the Comprehensive Cancer Center working together to figure out how this is all, you know, shaking out. It is 651-461-9226. If you have a question for Dr. Carlson, we're back right after this. And we are back. It's 17 minutes past 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. My name is Susie Jones with you every Sunday at 7. Dr. Michelle Carlson, a cardiologist with Hennepin Healthcare, is on our news line. And you are invited to join us. Maybe you have a question about your own heart health. She is a cardiologist. Probably could answer that question for you as well. And that number to call or text right now if you're listening and you have a question is 651 651 651- 4619226. Let's talk a little bit more, uh, Dr. Carlson, about this partnership at Hennepin Healthcare uh, team of people. It's the Hennepin Healthcare Heart Center and the Hennepin Healthcare Comprehensive Cancer Center, and kind of talk about that integrated cardio oncology program and what happens there.
1: Sure, happy to do that. Maybe um, I can just give you an example. Um, let's imagine that you're um, a woman who has been diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. Often the oncology team, that's the cancer team, will refer those patients to me and I will talk with with you about what's your risk with the treatments that are planned, what effect could they have on your heart, and what are symptoms that you should watch for, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what monitoring should we do of your heart. And usually that monitoring includes some labs initially, uh, an EKG, that's an electrical picture of the heart, an echocardiogram. that's an ultrasound picture of the heart. And depending on the treatment, we decide how frequently should we see each other, how frequently should we repeat these tests? And then um, now we know each other, and if there's if any issues arise with your heart during those cancer treatments, mm-hmm. the oncology team just pages me or calls me directly. We make a plan. I get you in to see me if needed or into the next echo early if needed. And we do our best to protect your heart while you're getting the cancer treatments that you need.
0: And when you, so you start sort of with a baseline with a brand new breast Mm -hmm. cancer person. And then throughout their treatment, you check in periodically to see if any of those numbers are changing. You got it. Okay. And if they are changing, you obviously try to find a way to. I don't want to use it, well, tweak this, tweak or adjust the program so that you don't do any more heart damage. Is that, the, in essence, what you're trying to do there?
1: Exactly. So there are some folks where we think at baseline, your, your risk is really high for, for complications with this cancer treatment. Let's think about, are there some ways we could decrease your risk, whether that's Medications to control your blood pressure, medications to lower your cholesterol, or some lifestyle modifications. Um, Then there are folks that we think are relatively low risk, but we still monitor. And if we find a change, we may recommend starting a medication to try and protect the heart. What we don't like to do, but sometimes have to do, is temporarily stop the cancer treatments. If there's been too much damage to the heart. Or switch to a different cancer therapy, and I just want to be clear—that's not my job. Isn't to make the decision about the cancer treatment. That's <laughs> the cancer doctor's job. Exactly. My job is to try and protect your heart.
0: Right, right, right. I wouldn't guess yes, but does age play a role?
1: Absolutely. You know, folks who are really young when they get cancer therapies. So, for example, um, if you're a child who gets uh, radiation. Uh, to to your chest um, for a certain kind of cancer that can increase your risk for heart for different kinds of heart disease later in life mm-hmm. but also being older means you're already at higher risk for some heart problems and so you're at higher risk during your cancer treatments as well
0: Six five one four six one nine two two six. that's the phone number to call dr carlson do you mind i would hope you wouldn't mind taking like heart questions from listeners as it is a uh, February is American Heart Month and uh, absolutely, you are a cardiologist and people, uh, heart disease I'm reading here is the number one killer of Americans. Um, and so let's talk about that. Uh, Texture writes in this morning, what is a heart murmur and can it be detected by an EKG? Thank you, they say. So good morning. Thanks for mm-hmm. listening.
1: Great question. Yeah. So a heart murmur is something that we hear with a stethoscope. And when we put our stethoscope on your heart and listen, we can sometimes hear the flow of blood across some of your valves. Those are one-way doors that open and close to let blood through your heart. Um, Now, sometimes these valves, uh, sometimes a murmur can be what we call benign or normal. For example, very common to develop a murmur during pregnancy because your heart is working harder, there's more blood flowing and we can often hear it. There are also murmurs that aren't benign where there's a narrowing of your heart valve or regurgitation or flow back through a leaky heart valve. The best way to diagnose the cause of a murmur is with an echocardiogram. So that KG that the listener asked about is that electrical picture The echocardiogram is an ultrasound picture so we can see the valves opening and closing and look for leakage or narrowed
0: valves. And would a cardiologist be the one, I'm just asking a follow-up for this listener, would a cardiologist be the one to say, let's get the, the echocardiogram as opposed to the EKG because we'll see more?
1: So usually that's something that if your primary care doctor hears a murmur, they're going to order an echocardiogram to evaluate that murmur. Okay. Now, they may also order an EKG because that helps us get a more complete picture of other things that are going on with the heart. Mm-hmm. But the EKG just won't tell us the cause of the murmur the way the echocardiogram will. Okay,
0: good. Six five one, four, six, one nine, two, two, six. I'm going to ask you the next question, but I'll probably get the word wrong. Please discuss your opinion on... Inclisurin, it's I-N-C-L-I-S-U-R-I-N. Yes, in cholesterol. In, in cholesterol. Um, okay, thank you. What yeah. is that?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
1: um, this is a newer medication uh, that can help lower cholesterol, um, and we, it, it is new enough that we know it's very good at lowering the number of the cholesterol, but we're still waiting for some trials that tell us how much does it decrease your risk of future heart attacks or stroke. Okay. So we like to just not use medications that make the numbers better, but that actually improve your risk over time. We have lots of treatments that we know do that for cholesterol, for cholesterol, but some people can't tolerate those treatments or they have side effects so it's really exciting to have new options like in that may be really helpful for many folks and the data is looking really promising we're just waiting for some final numbers before we can say that really confidently that it lowers your risk of heart attack
0: so cholesterol for just a minute for myself this is a selfish question i Mm -hmm. hard my mom is always like what is your cholesterol i'm like i don't know um <laughs> And I'm 61 and I go to the doctor. I probably have it somewhere. How solid of a connection is there between high cholesterol and heart problems?
1: A very it's a very strong relationship. Mm. So when we think about what increases your risk of specifically of heart attack, things I, I like to talk about and check for the patient are, How high is your cholesterol? Are you a smoker now or have you been a smoker in the past? What's your blood pressure? And not just what's your blood pressure here in clinic, but what is it over time at other visits and at home? How active are you? How much aerobic exercise do you get? And what's your family history? If you've had someone who had a heart attack at a young age, a mom or a dad, that puts you in a higher risk category, even if all the other numbers look good.
0: Okay, so that's good for people to know to write those factors down and keep them close at hand. A texter writes at six five one four six one nine two two six. Can an annual mammogram be dangerous to the heart?
1: Great question. So it is the mammogram doesn't put radiation on the heart, and the amount of radiation, even if it were to the radiation, we're directed at the heart. The amount of radiation that you get with the mammogram is so low, that is, we don't have any evidence that it's dangerous for the heart.
0: So that should not at all be a deterrent from people getting a mammogram?
1: No, I, I recommend getting a mammogram as recommended by your primary care doctor.
0: Very good. Texter writes, my resting heart rate has gone from in the 40s to almost in the 60s in the last four months. Now, that's overnight readings, and it corresponds with having more trouble with insomnia. Um, mm-hmm. talk about, they say, what should I do about this? Sleep study? Talk mm-hmm. to cardiologist? Well, you're talking to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on, on hearing that news?
1: Well, I think always great to talk to um, your own doctor who can know all of the details, um, but the, the fact that you're telling me you're sleeping worse, not surprising that your heart rate is going up. When we sleep and our body rests, we have a really strong, what we call parasympathetic tone. Our nervous system is very relaxed and our heart rate can be really low for some people like this person in the 40s when they sleep or even in the 30s. That's really healthy. If sleep isn't as good, your body is awake. The, the what we call the sympathetic part of the nervous system is more awake and the heart rate is, could be higher because of that.
0: Interesting. Sleep is so important, isn't it? We hear that again and again. Uh, Let's do a couple more here before the bottom of the hour. What are the risks of being in AFib all the time and what can be taken to to prevent it, I guess? And first of all, for listeners, just talk about what AFib is.
1: Absolutely. So AFib is an abbreviation for atrial fibrillation. And that's a condition where the top chambers of our heart, instead of squeezing, you know, once a second in response to our own electrical pacemaker that we have in our heart, they get confused. They beat quickly and irregularly and very, very fast. Um, And that signal travels to the bottom chamber of the heart and triggers that bottom chamber to also be irregular and fast. We think about several long-term consequences of having atrial fibrillation. One is the risk of stroke. So, as that top chamber of the heart isn't squeezing normally, blood can pool and a blood clot could form, could break off and go potentially to your brain, block an artery there and cause a stroke that way. The way to help decrease that risk is to take blood thinning medications. Another risk of being in atrial fibrillation for a long time, especially if you're in a fast atrial fibrillation rhythm as most people are, is that it can make your heart muscle weak and cause that scary word, heart failure. Um, The bottom chambers of the heart, the ventricles, can get tired over time from having to pump so hard and so fast. Then there are other possible complications that can develop over time, including stretching the top chambers of the heart and causing leakage of some of the heart valves. So there are a lot of different consequences of being in atrial fibrillation for a long time. When we meet someone who has a diagnosis of atrial fibrillation, we should always ask, you know, what's the best treatment? Is it slowing the heart rate so that you don't so that you feel well and your heart isn't as stressed? Or is it trying to get you out of the atrial fibrillation completely? And we have different treatments that can do that. Medicines, um, Cardioversions, or even procedures called ablations, where we try and get rid of the atrial fibrillation uh, with little micro burns or micro freezes of part of the heart.
0: Interesting. All right, we're going to take a break. It is 7.30. We'll do some weather and a couple of commercials, and then we'll be back. But I wanted to make sure folks listening know that we have a half an hour now left in the show. So if you're listening and you're sitting there and you have a question, this is your opportunity to jump in at 461, no, 651-461-9226. I'll say it one more time, 651-461-9226. We're back right after this. It is 736 on a Sunday morning, 27 degrees outside. Happy to have you with us. We're taking your questions for Dr. Michelle Carlson, a cardiologist with Hennepin Healthcare. The number is 651 461 651-461-9226. This person asks, How does inflammation damage the heart? That's
1: such a good question. So we know that one of the ways that seems to happen is in the heart arteries. And these are small blood vessels that carry blood to the heart muscle. And uh, when there is a higher level of inflammation, that increases the risk of uh, heart, of a blockage of one of those arteries, of a little blood clot forming and causing a heart attack. Now, there are probably other ways that inflammation affects the heart in the long term, including the muscle, the the function of the muscle, but we're still learning about a lot of those ways.
0: It's interesting to me. I would be curious from you, how big of an issue is inflammation? I I look at it like across the board. It just seems like that word impacts so many Mm -hmm. different parts of our body.
1: Yeah, I think it is a really common contributor to a lot of different Health problems. Now, what we can't then tell you is, well, here's here's the five best ways to reduce inflammation and lower that risk. Yeah, I, I right. don't think we have a really good answer for that yet.
0: All right, six five one four six one nine two two six. This texture writes, "How much alcohol per day is safe for your heart?"
1: Mm, love that question. <laughs> so it depends. If we're talking about atrial fibrillation, which we, which we just discussed, we actually recommend no alcohol because even really small amounts can increase the risk of someone going into atrial fibrillation. So that's someone that has what we call paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. It comes and goes. Alcohol increases that risk. Wow. Um... For <laughs> our folks with a weak heart muscle or heart failure, again, I recommend no alcohol because the alcohol itself can be toxic to the heart muscle. So no beer, no wine, uh, no hard liquor.
0: All right, for, well, well, go ahead. Yeah. For folks with, with blocked heart
1: arteries, we used to say, well, one glass of red wine a day may be heart healthy. Um, I don't say that anymore because of the other effects that alcohol can have on the heart. And it's really up to you as the individual, you know, how much risk do you want to take? Um, what's the right balance for you in your life?
0: Okay. Next texter writes: Can shingles have an effect on the heart?
1: Hmm. Not to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Exactly. You know. Okay. I'm just looking. I just googled an, an article from the National Institute of Health. Shingles associated with an increased risk for heart disease. And again, maybe that inflammation playing a role, maybe something else that we, that we don't understand.
0: Okay. six five one four six one nine two two six. My 28-year-old grandson went to the ER this week after two days of fluttering heart and then a sore left arm. Um, they were not concerned. Um, those two, I mean, I think when you think about a, a sore left arm, that's sort of your telltale, one of the signs, the old signs of that you're having a heart attack. Um, not maybe, obviously they didn't feel that in this case, but what is that connection?
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm expecting that they did some tests, including EKGs and some blood tests to look for any evidence of heart attack and that those things weren't, weren't present. Um, when, when we think about symptoms of heart attack, the body is really good at telling you what what's happening when you touch your skin um, or something painful happens to your skin, but inside the, it's not as good as detecting where did that pain exactly come from. So very common when you have a heart attack, you could have pressure kind of in the middle of your chest, but you can also have pain or discomfort or numbness in your arm, especially your left arm, but some people have it in both arms, in your back, in your neck or in your jaw, all of those are possibilities. And it's what we call referred pain where that pain gets sent to different nerves because the body is the way I think of it, trying so hard to tell you something is going on.
0: Yeah. It does that, doesn't it? Uh, (laughs) This texture writes, uh, is there a way to measure inflammation?
1: Yes, there are different tests. Um, the one that's most validated in when we think about the risk of heart disease is called high sensitivity CRP. And that's a test that we can use to help discuss, hey, maybe you know your high sensitivity CRP is high, maybe that should make us more likely to recommend, for example, a statin medication, because we know those do have anti-inflammatory effects in your heart. Now, there are different tests that can measure Inflammation in other parts of your body, for example, a sedimentation rate. Um, I don't know of much data for using that to guide heart treatments for, for heart disease.
0: Six five one four six one nine two two six. If you have a question for the doctor, the question about taking statins, the lowering cholesterol medication, has that all been has that been studied or found to have any connection to causing cancer, being a contributing factor, like long term use.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Okay. So we have really, uh, thank goodness, lots of data about the long-term risks of statin. Okay. And their risks are very minimal. The one risk that I that I want people to be aware of, well, there are two. One, some people will have side effects of pain in their muscles. What's really interesting is if they're able to stop that statin, let it wear out of their body and try a different statin, they're often able to tolerate that different statin. The other long-term risk is that there is a very small increase in the risk of diabetes. Now, we think that the benefit of the statin and lowering the cholesterol outweighs the the risk of diabetes to the heart, but that's important for someone to know. And and again, this is data from really big populations. I can't tell you as an individual what's your risk of statin increasing the risk of diabetes. That's a really hard question to answer.
0: Okay. Next question comes from a texture at 651 4619226. Is there a normal heart rate range resting versus exercising?
1: Mhm. It depends.
0: Don't you love it when doctors say that? It depends, <laughs> on, a, uh, it depends on age, on age I would assume, age, right?
1: It depends on age and also your cardiovascular fitness. So the more aerobic exercise you do, the more likely you are to have a lower resting heart rate. Um, So a normal resting heart rate for someone who's awake can be anywhere from the forties to the nineties. There's folks who live at all of those ranges. Hmm. And it sounds like if you remember that person who was telling us earlier that they sounds like they maybe have a smartwatch or smart device that monitors their heart rate. If that's something that's, of interest to you, you can learn, Hey, this is my average over time. And then, Oh, my average is changing. What could be the cause of that is an interesting question to ask.
0: Yeah. Okay. It is 744 right now. Maybe we'll take our last break, Charlie here, and then we'll wrap it up. But We've got some great questions still coming in. So we'll get to as many questions as we can. 651 We're back with Dr. Carlson right after this. It is 7.48 on a Sunday morning. We're talking all things health. My name is Susie Jones. Our guest this hour is Dr. Michelle Carlson with Hennepin Healthcare. She is a cardiologist. And we're taking your calls for, boy, we've got some time, about five or six more minutes. A texter writes, my cholesterol is good, but after a cardiac CT, my calcium level is two. Can you explain what calcium is? And is it the same as the calcium in my bones?
1: Yes, it is exactly the same calcium. So what we see is that um, all of us from the time we're in our teens, at least in the United States, start to have little bits of cholesterol plaque that come and go in our heart arteries. And there's, different possibilities for what the body is able to do with that cholesterol. If it's someone like the the person who wrote in who has a normal cholesterol level and their body's able to handle cholesterol, normally they can absorb a lot of those plaques and the, the heart artery looks normal afterwards. Another possibility, let's say the cholesterol level is high or the body's just not able to reabsorb that cholesterol into the bloodstream, it's going to wall off that cholesterol plaque and it's going to use calcium to do it. And that calcified plaque becomes just stays there. Um, the third possibility, that's the scary one, is that plaque could could rupture or tear. And if you get a tear in your skin, that's fine. You form a scab a which is a little blood clot, and that's not a problem. But if it, you have a tear in your heart artery and your body forms a blood clot there to try and heal that tear, it can end up blocking that small artery and causing a heart attack. So when we see calcium on a heart scan, that tells us the amount of calcium you have especially can help us think about what's your risk for future heart attacks if you have a lot of calcium. We know your body has spent a lot of time trying to wall off bits of cholesterol and you're at a higher risk for a heart attack in the future.
0: And Dr. Carlson, this person was talking about uh, having a calcium score of two. Can you test your calcium score and how do you do that?
1: To get a calcium score of your heart, it's a very quick um, x-ray test, a kind of a CT scan. Um, We don't put in any IVs, no contrast. You just lay down and they take a one to two second scan of your heart and then we can calculate the amount of calcium and compare that to other folks um, of your age group to help us know what, to help give you a better idea of what your risk is for heart attack.
0: And you can do that at Hennepin Healthcare? You absolutely can. Okay, well, that's good to know. Because I know there are different places um, in town that have the thing that you lay down on and it ro- rolls you in, and then it can tell you. Mm-hmm. what And is that something you have at Hennepin Healthcare as well?
1: I think what I think that is the calcium score that yeah,
0: you yeah, described. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. When and I have a question about um, CT scans in general. So I had um, lung cancer two years ago, and it was um, operated on and removed at the Mayo. And I get a mm-hmm. CT scan every six months. That's not shouldn't be an issue, should it? For wrecking my heart. <laughs> Good
1: hmm. question. <laughs> I it, not on not as far as we know, so just as we talked about with the mammogram, the amount of radiation is is relatively small, and radiologists are really careful to use the lowest amount of radiation that they can to get a good picture. Um, we don't have any evidence that you know a cat scan a year from this point on is going to increase your risk of heart disease
0: okay, good to know because I don't I, I would I guess it's like, what do you do? You want to have your lung cancer back, or do you want to damage your heart? I don't want either. Uh, a texter writes, uh, "Does caffeine cause AFib?
1: You know, we have pretty good data that it doesn't. Okay. Uh, at least on a big population level, but I certainly have patients who tell me, "I, I think it. I think the coffee makes it worse." Certainly coffee is going to increase your heart rate, and so you may be more likely to feel the atrial fibrillation, um, but we don't think it puts you into atrial fibrillation itself. All
0: right, very good. 651-461-9226 two, two, if you have a question for the doctor. We have about a minute left. I guess um, my kind of follow-up question is, is there any final questions? Uh, recommendation or thoughts you would want to share here with the last minute to listeners about your heart, about the work you're doing with between the heart and the cancer center there at Hennepin Health?
1: Absolutely. So a lot of the same healthy lifestyle choices can decrease your risk for heart disease and for cancer. So things like quitting smoking, getting aerobic exercise, eating a heart healthy diet, these things, protect your heart, and help can help decrease your risk of cancer. So whatever you can do along those lines, start doing it now.
0: That sounds great. We'll leave it there. I appreciate your time. We'd love to have you on again sometime as we did not get to all the questions, but anyone listening, go ahead and reach out to Hennepin Health and you'll find a doctor there. Thank you.